Hello guys, it's Jordan Meller, your host of Traders of Money on Trade Delicious. I hope you're having a fantastic day. What an incredible interview we have for you. Mr. Don Dawson is outstanding and his passion exuberates as he speaks. Join me as we dive into his story and get an understanding of exactly how he got to the position he's in and how he does it day in, day out. It's really, really a great interview. I thoroughly enjoyed meeting Mr. Don Dawson, and I hope you guys enjoy it too. So without further ado, I'm not going to waste your time. Jump in. Let's have a listen. Mr. Dawson, thank you so much for joining me today. You have 35 years of futures trading experience. I mean, that is incredible. Run me through the story of how you got started in this industry. Uh, it, when I got started, it wasn't anything real fancy. It was, uh, you know, my father had a, a company and he had a partner working for him. And I just went in there one day and he said something, you know, about his neighbor told him that he had to start putting some money away for retirement. And I said, so what do you got to do? And he said, well, you're supposed to buy these things called stocks, right? And he said, you, I, I said, well, how's that work? And he says, well, you buy something here and it goes to here and you sell it and you make money. And I said, you're telling a 20 some year old that and I'm going like, I like it. I, this is not want to work anymore. But uh, so I just kind of got intrigued by it. And I started going to something called a library, which not a lot of people know about today, but you know, <laughs> where you just got real books. <laughs> so I would go in there and I just started studying and reading like the Edwards and McGee's books, uh, Jesse Livermore stories, stuff like that. So lots of lots of reading. Uh, and then I, I just sort of lucked out that there was a uh, commodity or stock slash commodity broker uh, living or working nearby me. And so I went into his office and opened up an account. And the first thing I did was just play around a couple of stocks. And of course, back in the 80s, nothing was moving. It was just nothing like today's volatility. So mm -hmm. I went back into his office a little bit later and I said, hey, I said, what do you got that moves a, you know, a little bit more than this? And this is the day back when we used to have green phosphor monitors or the monochrome monitors, they used to call them. He turns his monitor around all these green lights are flashing he goes well we've got bonds we've got gold we've got pork bellies and i'm like it was like love at first sight staring at that screen i said okay how do i get in this and so he got me into a futures account blah 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 and set that up <clears throat> and so from there i just started doing a little bit of research and uh, and i found this uh, thing called it was like a book of the month club and a company called hume publishing would mail it out and there was this thing in there called a ted spread and TED was an acronym for T-bills over Euro dollars. Now, Euro dollars is 90-day interest rate paper, not the currency. So T-bills, U.S. Treasury bills, and then 90-day Euro dollars. And basically, you were supposed to track this thing. And, and if it got to a 1.25 or something, you were supposed to buy the spread. So I tracked it for a few weeks or whatever, and I saw it getting down to this 125. So I called up my broker. I go, hey, I want to buy this TED spread. And he goes, like, don't you want to trade a regular futures contract first instead of a spread, <laughs> like, which is you're buying one leg and you're selling another leg. And I said, no. I said, I want to buy this spread. And he was like, where did you get this? And I said, oh, I was reading about it in a book. Well, he read me the riot act about books will never make you money. Oh, you know, like that. I said, put the order on. You know, like just this cocky greenhorn. <laughs> just put the order on. I'm paying this guy $40 round term commission. This is that was way back then. So that's $80 because you got two positions on. Well, a couple of weeks went by and it hadn't moved. It just sat there. And I was like, oh, maybe he was right. Cause I'm just $80 and holding it as a move. And so shortly after that, uh, Mexico announced, announced that they were going to default on a loan. All of a sudden there was this flight to quality. People wanted to be long treasury bills and Euro dollars are basically US dollars deposited outside US bank or US shores, but there's no guarantee. So people were repatriating that cash back. So they were selling the euros, buying the TEDs or buying the T-bills. 
Well, I was long T-bills and short euros. So this spread is going like this. I had no idea how much I'm making. I just knew I was making a lot of money. It was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So I let it go for like two or three days. And I finally, I called up my broker. I was just, at, this is we literally called, <laughs> like placing <Yeah>. orders. <laughs> and I go, I go, <clears throat> Dwight, you can sell that spread now. <laughs> he goes, you lucky SOB. <laughs> I said, of course, I know that's what it was. So anyway, I ended up, uh, you know, after that, I started trading. I got into the 30-year treasury bonds of, of trading. And, you know, we had paper charts back then. Literally, it was a company called Commodity Perspective who mailed a, a book to us every week. And during the week, we would take a ruler and a pencil, and there was graph paper, basically. So every square represented a certain number of ticks. So we would update our charts manually throughout the week like that. Just daily, we had no intraday charts. And so I started getting my quotes from the newspaper. That's where they all came from. I got it. There was a section there called commodities. Every day I would cut that out and put it on a clipboard. So when I was doing back testing, I was literally flipping through pages like this to get the open, high, low close for the market that I was trying to study. So finally I had this bright idea. I said, I need to go talk to my broker and see where I can get these quotes. Because desktop computers weren't that popular back then. So I go to him and he goes like, well, we'll probably be closed by the time you come by here. But he says, what I'll do is I'll turn the monitor to the window and then you can see the quotes at the end of the day. <laughs> I would go by there. I'd be out there at nighttime and it's just this old green monitor shining out the window. And I'm standing there writing down the open, high, low close for my 14 or 15 markets. <laughs> it rained, snow, what? it didn't matter. Now I'm driving home just happy as a lark. You know? And so I'm putting all this silly stuff into my charts and you're just drawing them in. And, you know, of course, it ended up the profit I made on my TED spread, I gave back in my 30-year bonds, and I was just going, oh, this isn't good. And so, like most traders, you end up losing what you started out with. So, um, anyway, from there, it was more of, um, I, I figured, it, once I started losing all that money, I said, you know, I need to figure out what the heck this stuff is, so I know what these futures are. So, I went and I studied for the uh, Series 3 Commodity Brokers License, and, and what that did, it didn't teach me how to trade, but it taught me what futures are, which I'm a, I'm a big advocate of. You need to know the asset you're trading or understand how it works before you can make money in it. So I felt more comfortable once I got that underneath of me. And uh, I just kept on practicing and practicing. And I was a five-year self-taught trader uh, as I went through mm -hmm. this. And I um, you know, had like four, four years into it. I felt like, okay, I probably can start making a living at this, you know. And then the next thing was like five years. I said, okay, now I'm ready. So kind of lucked out and, and went into that. I you knew when I got, it was kind of a funny story, but when I got my broker's license, I didn't ever become a broker, but I did use it for just knowledge of, of the markets. My dad, nobody in my family really invested. So my dad, when we go out somewhere, he introduced me to a friend. He'd go, oh, that's my son. He's a bookie. Uh, no, <laughs> no means. So, you know, it was kind of hard getting started in this when you got a family who thinks you're a bookie or a gambler or something else, you know. And so finally, I guess they kind of gave up on it. And so they just kind of, I guess if that's what you're going to do, that's what you're going to do, you know. So so pretty much that's how I got started. And, and uh, ever since, I've just I loved them. You know, the first trade I ever did was a commodity spread. And to this day, that's, that's my better uh, trading vehicle than it is trading outright. So I really enjoy trading that's those. Funny. And then you can sort now incorporate like some seasonality and stuff like that in there. But it's uh, just more diversification for different ways of trading the futures markets. You can you can just hear the passion in your voice reminiscing <laughs> the story of just still how much you enjoy looking I, at these assets. You know, yeah. I tell I tell people I, I used to teach for a school for about 15 years for futures trading. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I said, if you don't have a passion for this, I said, there's a whole lot easier ways to make money. So don't come into this just trying to make money because that's not what you're going to do in this market. I mean, you, you're going to. Yeah, I think a lot else. of people get 
Yeah. So I think a lot of people get that wake up call too late. You know, a lot of yes. people spend a lot of time in trading. Thinking, yes, it's going to be my ticket for money, but there are easier ways to make money outside of trading. Truth, I know. So passion truly is what gets you to you know to stay with this long enough because you through the the ups, it's easy to stay with anything, right? When things are going well, but when things get challenging, that's where the passion kicks in. That's what that's what makes you get out of bed and put your boots on and come back in the office the next day. Because honestly, there were times I wanted to quit so bad, and my ex wife was so great about this. She kept on pushing me. She says, "No, you get back in." I don't know. She just tried to get me out of her hair. Or she get back into the office and you love this too much you know and she was such a great help to me I mean, another funny story about with her uh tom baldwin was a he was in one of the market wizards books and i was reading in there and he was the best bond trader in the world this man came to like chicago with twenty five thousand dollars in his pocket and a pregnant wife and he just walked out on his own floor a bond pit became the world's biggest bond trader at that time so anyway they finally interviewed him and they said what's the biggest mistake that retail traders make and he says, oh, they personalize losses. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. And he goes like, yeah, it's like it's in the bond market. We were trading. This is how come I lost so darn much money. But the 30-year bond is $31.25 U.S. cents per tick. So it's the largest mm. per tick contract that we have. And that's when I'm trading with these really small accounts, which didn't make any sense at all. But anyway, while I'm trading in that thing, um, he says that people would say, okay, um, if I lost $500, which was only 16, 30 seconds in that bond market, he says, if I lose 500, then retail person or a trader will go, oh man, that was a boat payment or that was this payment. So what they've done now, he says, is personalize that loss. And it makes that loss even more painful than if you just didn't think of it in terms of that kind of money. And, you know, we're all supposed to trade with risk capital anyway, but when you're first starting out, you're not really aware of that because you've done everything you could to scrape together the money just to get an account opened up, right? And But you're not thinking of that that way. Uh, so it got to the point, I started thinking, what can I do to help me get away from thinking about losing money? And so, you know, when my wife would come home at that time, her ex, she'd come in, she'd go, how was your day? And instead of me pewing out some, you know, oh, I lost $800 or I made, you know, $2 or whatever, you know, I said, we turned my trading account into bond ticks. So I took the total value of my bond or my trading account, divided it by $31.25. So all of a sudden now my account became the number of bond ticks. So everything was, you know, oh, how was your day? Oh, I was up 12 ticks or I was down four, you know, like that. Nothing about mm. dollars and cents anymore. And it got so cool there because we would go out to dinner or something and she'd look at the receipt and she goes, ah, three bond ticks, you know, like that. So <laughs> we just really played it as a game. But honestly, it made a huge difference in for me in my early days of getting away from personalizing those losses. I, I don't think like that anymore about like, oh, I could have done this with that. I could have done that. And truly now today, everything I trade with is pure risk capital. I mean, I, I try to encourage people to always trade like that too because it helps you keep from trading scared at the same time too. Yeah, it, it, goes back, sorry, it goes back to what we spoke about just before we started recording here as well. Is It's 90% psychology when it comes into trading. Like it, it, You just have to get your head right. You have to be thinking right, keep yes. your emotions in check because when it comes down to the actual analysis and the probability, arguably some of the most simple stuff, <laughs> sometimes we find some of this stuff and we're like, well, that's just a no-brainer. But when it comes down to actually executing positions yes. and when we get in, when we get out, that's where the money's made. At least that's what I believe anyway. But um, yeah, that, that's just another trick that's helped you trick your mind into to resetting as a trader rather than a, the citizen. Right. Yeah. And you, I mean, being a day trader, and that's something I, I, I don't day trade anymore. I did years ago, but they, 
being a day trader, you've got to be so disciplined because there's so much so easy for emotions to override your thinking when you're a day trader, because, you know, you're, you're, it's all of a sudden it's like, what trading plane? Just get me in, get me out, kind of like that. So, so that's, that's something I've noticed with a lot of people, especially in some of my classes, people wanted to gravitate to being a day trader when they started out. And I'd ask them why. And they said, oh, that's all my that's all I can do. I don't have enough money for overnight margin. And I said, do you realize if you come into being a day trader and that's not your fit, then you're just going to lose that money that much faster. I said, you don't mm. pick a style of trading based on the amount of capital you have. And if you don't have enough capital, then you find something else to do until you do have that to trade the way you should be trading because you can't uh, you can't trade like that. It's like, oh, that's all I have. So that's why I have to trade this. <laughs> you're still going to lose that money. It's just going to go away that much faster, in my opinion. So, Yeah, no, 100% right. It was a conversation I had with Mandy Rassandani, who's a psychology coach in trading. Uh, the yes. beautiful thing she said was trading is so much like golf. It goes, you can have the exact same tools as the professional, but if you can't consistently swing the same way, you're not going to get on the PGA tour. And it's just, uh, I thought that was a fantastic analogy. Which, it's which so true. So true. true. Yeah, trading is about consistency. I mean, we got discipline, obviously, but if you don't have the consistency to follow through consistent time after time, I always tell, always tell my students the same thing. When you're trading well, you're bored to death. Because you're just doing repetition over and over and over. And I said, I always found it when I was, you know, when I wasn't trading well, that's when I was all like my heart was racing and everything else. And I knew I wasn't on my game. But that was, I was getting away from my strategy when that kind of a thing happened. So I just found that, you know, the days that I'm bored, I'm doing like, I must be doing something right. I'm not, I'm not excited <laughs> or anything. I still get it. I still get excited about the trade, but I don't have the emotional attachment to it as, you know, like mm. I did back when I started out. Fantastic. Talking about that, obviously, you've been involved for about 35 years now. Um, the way you trade and the tools we have access to have changed. You don't have to go and look outside of a broker's window to get the quotes, right? You, you've got all the data now. How, how has that changed your process? You mentioned you used to day trade. Now you're more into to the longer term positions. What's the, the story there? How have you changed and evolved into trading over the years? Right. When we started out, and like we were on the paper charts and uh, you, you couldn't really day trade because if you think well, there used to be the trading floors or the pits, they called them, that you had to trade against. And so for me to call the broker, the broker call the floor, the floor get the orders in, you know, to there. And I'm trying to day trade against that. Right. So you can imagine that's about a 10 to a 15 minute process. A floor broker or floor trader, when they trade, they can have their hand like this and turn it. That's a sell. That's, that's the time it takes them to make a day trade decision right there. And I was going to compete with that off of the floor. I actually equate that to people who try and scalp the market right now to an algorithm trading system. You're not going to beat that algorithm in a, a 30 second chart or in that type of mm. time frame. It's almost, you might get lucky once in a while, but I don't think in the long run you're going to beat them. So even as a day trader, you've got to find a time frame that's a little bit away from those algos. I mean, that's a tough thing today with the algorithm traders. So anyway, I did start out with swing trading. I, we, I call it swing trading. And uh, that was another thing I learned in my first five years was trend analysis. Once I really got something that says this is the trend, that changed a lot for me. So I'm a diehard trend follower. I never buy or sell on the same day. I, if I have an uptrend, I only buy. If I'm in a downtrend, I only sell. And if it's sideways, I don't do it. I go fishing. <laughs> do something else. <laughs> but I, won't, I will not. I won't trade the sideways market. So um, anyway, I... Uh, 
did the swing trading starting out and then it, it was around the early 1990s and desktop computers started coming out a little bit you know i'm really dating myself here but but the, the pcs were coming out and we had the monochrome monitors we actually had cga was the first color to monitors and the pixels were so big they were like softballs so when the little chart <laughs> that I used to put up it was like a pac-man screen if you will but it was like sometimes the bar was bent like this because the pixel was so big you know i was like you gotta be kidding me but of course back then we didn't know any better so I thought, oh, my gosh, I can finally compete with the floor. I've got real-time quotes coming in. Well, you still, the order wasn't electronically traded like we have the Globex platform today. It still went routed to a broker somewhere, and then they put the order in for you. So you were still, it, wasn't, it was electronically transmitted to the broker. Uh, some cases, it was faxed to the broker. Because if you had, like, I don't know if you guys have heard of TradeStation, but that was one of the first automated trading software packages to be called Omega Research. And you could program it so that whenever your signal or your, yeah, your trade setup occurred, it would call your broker automatically. So in the background, you would hear the phone calling a fax machine and it would transmit an order to your broker. And we thought that was high tech. <laughs> so anyway, went into that. And so I tried to day trading on the screen and stuff because we thought, oh, wow, we can do this. And about that time, George Lane was coming out with a stochastic, Wells Waller with his RSI. So all this was becoming more popular back then. And, and it was on a screen. So we didn't have to manually calculate moving averages every day and stuff like that. So we were like, oh, we got a real edge here and uh, no no it was just you know <laughs> through the 90s you know just day trading mentality and i just realized that's not my trading style i uh i even in my younger days you know i used to tell people when i was in my 20s trading i would you know i'd shoot at anything that moved and today i've got such restrictions on my trades have to meet such real strict criteria before i'll even take mm. a trade and and so I, that part's really evolved really well for me in that sense. I'm not I don't trade nowhere near the frequency that I used to. So once I realized that day trading really wasn't my game, I kind of fell back into what my my real my trading is with spread trading, which you hold for gosh sometimes a month, a month and a half, and then in the futures market, my net is a long time. But in the outright futures, maybe three to ten days. That's usually my goal right now because we have so much volatility. It's hard to get a market to move in the same direction for any period of time before it does some form of retracement that tends to take a lot of profit away. So I think that was the biggest thing. I, I put my toes in the water as a day trader, and I didn't it didn't work well for me. And then I just realized, <clears throat> okay. I, I kind of had a philosophy in life. I've always wanted my money to work for me. I didn't want to work for it. So when I was day trading, I felt like I'm at the screen working. So now with swing trading, for me, it's about setting up trends in the afternoon, coming in the next morning, looking to see how the European session went, and actually placing the orders. And then, you know, a half hour later, I'm going off to the gym for about two, two and a half hours <laughs> and come back and, you know, I do a little walk around the neighborhood kind of a thing, shower, come in here, and I come back for the market close, and, okay, what was the trend today? And so what that allows me to do is go out and do other things in life, you know, because especially as the older I get, the more I appreciate that, that I can go do more mm. stuff while my money is working for me. So, and, you know, they're not winners. They're not all winners, I should say, coming back. I mean, I have my losing trades just like anybody else does. But I found that it helps take some of the emotion out of the trades. Like when I'm not at the screen watching it, there's so many times prices come back towards your stop. You just, if you're watching it, you just say, I might as well get out. And you make stupid, irrational decisions like that. And, and sure enough, it works out. And I can't tell you how many times I've come back and looked at a day and seen like I probably would have gotten out there or I probably would have gotten out there and it actually turned and went back in my direction. So that's something I found is really beneficial for me being away from the screen. I'm kind of my own worst enemy sitting in front of a screen sometimes. Yeah, no, it's it sounds like as you've matured as a person, you've matured as a trader. And, and, and it takes a lot of maturity to 
realize the fact that day trading isn't your gravy uh right. to have the maturity and the discipline to be like hey i'm beating a brick wall here let's adjust what i'm doing i mean that that speaks volumes in itself so uh big props to you i know from reading some of your stuff uh and from watching some of your videos that you do a mix between technical and fundamental analysis when it comes down to your trading how do you balance the two I, you know, I'm, a, I'm mostly technical, but I do like to have, I, I think the fundamentals kind of give a macro view of what's going on in the market. So for me, it's, I, I like to, I don't like to micro manage uh, fundamentals because there's too much information out there. Next yeah. thing you know, you get, you know, analysis paralysis. So I just want to know what the big picture is in the market. And then my other thing from a fundamental standpoint is following seasonality. And I think that's really important to me because, you know, and I agree seasonality doesn't work every year or work all the time, but boy, if I can get that, I'd find that particular market has got a seasonal pattern in it. And then I start looking like, okay, what causes that seasonality for that market? And then as I just wrote about the Aussie, about how the crops coming away from Australia, it causes a lot of exporting that goes on. So that means foreign countries from Australia have to buy Aussie dollars at a certain time of the year to buy these uh, exported commodities. And so boy, there's, if you think about if crops are coming or going in the ground, coming out of the ground at the same times, then the dollar chain or the Aussie dollar is going to have a pattern there. And sure enough, it does. Every year around this time, we get this nice spike up until about mid-April. And all that is is just money being turned into uh, Aussie dollars. And so that's a good seasonal fundamental there. And then once I get that kind of a confirmation, uh, it kind of gives, it helps reinforce this trade almost every step along the way. And um, it, next thing is just technical analysis from there. And, you know, and, and also I, the technical analysis for me is so important because for one, if I'm getting a seasonal buy, I've got to have an uptrend, which I can't tell you how many times that's kept me from just jumping into a seasonal buy while we were in a downtrend because that just kept going down. There's a reason it was a downtrend. It wasn't going to work this year. So, so I need that technical analysis to confirm that the market is moving or attempting to move in my direction. And then the rest of it is just technical analysis from buying it, support an uptrend or selling resistance and a downtrend. And first thing is, where am I wrong on the trade? Risk management is number one in my trading. It's just, you know, I don't care where my, pro I can't make the market go to my profit, right? But I can tell it that's all you're going to get if I'm wrong. So that's what I manage first. And then that obviously sets my targets and everything like that. I typically only have like my first, I scale or all in and then typically scale out. And my first target is a fixed and then the rest of it is all trail stop. And that's mm -hmm. how I like to trade the market because you never know, you know, if you traders would look back over their year, if you will, they will find that it's usually a handful of trades or a month or two out of the year that really made their money. The rest of the time, they were just kind of like in and out, in and out, and you know, making a little bit of chump change, if you will. But there was one or two months or you know, a handful of trades that really made your year. And that's what I found, especially in swing trading and, and that's an environment. So that's why I always want to leave something one to run in case this is the one that's going to run. I'd say nine out of 10 times, I don't get that. But every once in a while, you latch onto that one trade where it just runs for it feels like a month, <laughs> like that. You just <laughs> finally, you know, it took forever to get this, but it's worth waiting for. And and I found too that from my trading in a month, I need at least two good uh, running markets. They don't have to go for a huge amount, but if I can get something into where I've already hit my first target and then the trail stop stays with it for a few days. That usually two or three times a month, well, I should say two. If I can get two of them a month, that really makes my month. If I don't, like right now is a very difficult time to get a trail stop to work very well because overnight, we're not getting a lot of follow through for multiple days in a row. You look at the oil market since October, and we have literally just been doing this until that 
breakout the other day. Um, you know, gold finally has got some movement in it. Stock indexes like the S&P, it's the same thing as oil. It's just bigger, sort of a bigger uh, cycle swing in there, if you will. But mm-hmm. that's, that part's really difficult if you don't have some follow through. So, so right now, swing trading in there has not been all that great. But here's an interesting thing about what, you know, the two different styles of trading I do. That's called an outright if you're long or you're short to market. But when you're spread trading, you're simultaneously long and short. Crude oil, all that October sell-off like this, the spread of being, I think it was, it was shorting the front month and then selling the back month, which made it sort of a bear spread. That spread mm-hmm. came down for almost three months in a row. It trended down while the whole time while this market was just going sideways. So there was opportunity making money in that, but the outrights were just beating you to death if you were in it. So I, I really enjoy having two different styles of futures trading uh, to allow that. Um, if I was better day trader, I'd have three, but <laughs> I'm not a good day trader. <laughs> so I, I've come to realize that. And so I just go out and, you know, do other things, uh, you know, in stock market or you know, like index funds and stuff like that for longer term uh, trades. Fantastic. You, you mentioned that you've done a lot of teaching uh, when it comes down to futures. What other than the sheer amount of passion you have for trading, right? That, that's, that's very evident. <laughs> what led you to want to, to teach people how to trade and, and all about the futures market? Yeah. You know, you and I were talking a little bit before the show and part of my nature is about giving, you know, I I, I feel it makes me feel good to be able to give, you know, and I don't know if that's selfish or not, but it does feel good. (laughs) And when you have, uh, when you have a skill and you're willing, you know, share and and now I won't tell people exactly where I'm buying or selling, that kind of thing, but I love just being able to help people kind of get their feet on the ground and get started, you know, and get them, get them pushed in the right direction. And so when the opportunity came along to actually instruct these classes, at first I was really reluctant, but then there was opportunities to travel. And I literally was all over the world. I mean, uh, Singapore, uh, Dubai, London, a lot of places. And it was a five-day class. So we did a lot of travel with that and met all kinds of different people around the world who had the same, almost some of them had the same passion I did. And then, of course, let's put it this way, a half of them had the idea that this was instant get rich money. And you can almost tell that on the first day and you're just like, I'm sorry, but that's not what this is going to be about. So um, I think the idea of just being able to help people and get started uh, for me was something that kind of kept me going to, uh, to keep teaching. And I just, you know, I probably helped out two or three individual traders just in a mentoring standpoint, uh, just to kind of help them out. And they seem to be doing very well. And, you know, once you get them, get them moving in the right direction, they're doing pretty good. But um, I, I, I think traders kind of come in and they're looking for someone to feed them a trade, like where to buy, where to sell. And to me, that's not doing you any good at all. You know, I mean, you might make a little bit of money while somebody's telling you that, but what happens when they go away or you don't have that contact anymore? Same thing if it's a company giving you that information. What if they're not around? You're back to zero when, when that's gone. So for me, it's about, you know, the old saying about, you know, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for the day. But if you teach him to fish, then you can feed him for life. And that's my philosophy on this as well. I don't, I cannot stand the idea of giving somebody uh, trading advice uh, and, and, you know, if, instead of just teaching them how to do something. So. Mm. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree with you, and that's uh, that's out of the goodness of your heart, or maybe selfish. But but <laughs> we'll let everyone else decide how that works. <laughs> I'll have to tell you, the selfish part of doing this was it, it kept me because when I was traveling, I always had my laptop, I, and I never went away without my laptop. And I'd have like a, a external monitor I would always carry around with me. I, I think I had more on that than I did in my suitcase. But it was mm-hmm. just carrying that around with me, and I'd set these things up, and I was still trading while I was on the road. 
The good thing about it was while I was in the classroom, I couldn't be messing around with my charts because it kept me away from the screen. So, so that part was really good as well, too. And so you would just go in and check it at lunchtime or something like that, see if you had to move anything around and it just went on back into the classroom after that. So, so it was, um, and the other thing too, is while you're talking about trading, you're really, you got, it keeps your finger on the pulse of the market. And, and that's why I kind of got back into writing after I got out of the teaching, I started writing about the markets again, because you still do quite a bit of research to come up with these articles. And I just love just studying the markets and studying what moves to prices and, you know, the economics of the world and just different things like that. And when I was a youngster, I used to be in custom home building uh, carpentry uh, back in my day. And I remember carrying these 70 pound shingles up on my shoulder, going up ladders, you know, and I remember going like, man, when you get 60, you're not going to be doing this stuff. What else can you do? You know? So when the opportunity <laughs> came up, my dad's friend was talking about trading. I was like, I think this is it. <laughs> so, so it was love at first sight. I mean, first trade I did. And I just said, it, I knew it, I'd be in the futures market in some capacity for the rest of my life. So. And you can do this forever. I mean, there's no real physical limitations. I, I was I told mm -hmm. my students, I said, it probably will make me stroke out and fall out of my chair, but that, you know, that's okay. <laughs> I'm doing something I love. <laughs> yeah, but as long as you get one a month, <laughs> two a <Exactly>. month, <laughs> yeah, the rest doesn't matter. No, uh, that's fantastic. So in your time teaching and, and dealing with numerous amounts of different traders, do, do you see any common similarities obviously we, we spoke a little bit earlier on um as, as your friend mentioned in the book but they really struggle to get past or any barriers which novice traders seem to constantly hit yeah you know it's interesting you bring that up i still do a uh, a bi-weekly grad event for some of the graduates that i did for out in the midwest in kansas city and i love doing that because it's kind of like coming back and seeing or well because we do zoom so we can see each other and mm. stuff we'll carry 28 to 35 people something like that in there on these bi-weekly events and every week i come in and i used to come in and we talked about you know the strategy that they learned from the school and stuff and then I realized, like, you know what, if they haven't gotten that by now, they're probably never going to get it. But I thought, what's more important? And that is trader psychology. And I'm not a licensed psychologist by no means. But what I do is just brought in all of my years, all of the bumps and turns and everything I've been through. And those are the kind of things I, I pick a topic and talk about. Like last night, we talked about one. And it was about, like, how to become a trader when you currently still have a job. Because you have to mm. balance that out, you know, like where's your study time um, and then learn about, hey, I might have to make a few sacrifices along the way. You know, I, I'm going to have to give up an hour of TV watching, which is pretty much useless anyway. So here's an hour and then get up an extra hour in the morning because it says like, there was a study out and it said that most Americans sleep like eight hours and 48 minutes or something. And we're going like, all you need is eight. So there's 48 and you take an hour out of TV. There's two hours right there that you can now put towards your uh, trading study time. And so those are the kind of things we went over and it, I found that to be very useful. Um, and one of the comments that came up last night that somebody wants to talk about in the future is, is about, I'm scared to pull the trigger, even on SIM. So those kind of comments or questions when they come out like that, that becomes my next topic, you know, to be talking about that. So it's, it's interesting because I've been through almost everything that these guys, they talk about, you know, from that fear of doing things, uh, from, uh, trying to learn a strategy because there's so much information out there today. I guess in some ways I was lucky when I started out, there really wasn't that much stuff to do. And there was probably six markets we could trade that had the volume in there. So it mm. wasn't like we were all over the place trading. And we kind of, because the way the trading pits were and the traders who were in the pits, you kind of focused on a market. 
and you didn't really jump around like we do today because with electronic trading we can literally click on any market around the world and be there in a second right but back then you specialized on a particular market so today when these newer traders are coming in and they're just overwhelmed with so much you know lights flashing in front of them and stuff like that it's really I think it's more about just kind of getting them to, to focus, teaching them how to focus and, you know, get away, get away or get as much stuff off of their screen that they don't need. Um, I'm a, you know, we always talked about you have a core strategy that you use to trade. And I said, OK, you've got that. But you know what you need? You also need core markets to trade so that every day you come in, you only do your analysis on those markets. If you come in with too many markets on, you know, to look at, like, oh, I'm going to trade them all. No, you're not. <laughs> you kind of got to pick out the ones that are going to work for you and then just focus on that. So for me, it was more about just kind of get these people to focus, makes a big difference in their trading. Uh, and then you get to focus and then it's about applying the same strategy over and over and over again. And, you know, for discipline to following your rules. Because I said, you can have rules, but if you can't follow them, you know, that's not doing you any good either. So, so we really just sort of, you know, I saw the patterns of, you know, how they struggle just like I did and just kind of I try to walk them through or walk them through the same way uh, that I came through it and you know hopefully save them a little bit of headache mm. was, was there anything in your journey in your process of, of success in the markets when it come down to that discipline factor was there a, a aha moment or a punch in the face moment that made you wake up and be like look yourself in the mirror and be like Don what are you doing? Oh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I know that we're traders, right? We do that almost yeah. every morning. But yeah. I mean, yeah. as a whole, like, was there a, a big standout moment for you that really snapped your discipline into place? Oh, yeah. Uh, my other passion it used to be riding motorcycles before this. And uh, well, even after this, I, I rode bikes for about 50 years and uh, I just actually sold it like two years ago. It's where I live at here. It's gotten so congested and crowded. It just it's almost like a kamikaze ride anymore. So I was like, OK, when I move out to the country, which I'm planning on doing, I'll get another bike. But I had to get rid of it here. <clears throat> but when I was trading, I remember I had this bike. And I got a margin call from my broker and I was in the 30 year bonds as usual. And so I'm in there and he calls me up and goes, Hey, here's uh, Rosenthal looking for some money uh, for a margin call. And I was like, Oh man. So I said, you know what? I was going to sell this bike and I was going to buy a bigger bike. So I said, I think I'm going to sell the bike. I'm going to take that money and put it in the margin call. And then that'll give me money to buy. This is how stupid a new, well, me as a new trader was because I was thinking like that money was going to turn into a new motorcycle. Well, guess what? That motorcycle didn't come back here. Okay. I mean, that money evaporated just as quick as the other money went away because I was in a losing trade. I was long in a downtrend, which you, you look back on that and you go, why? <laughs> so but you don't know any better when you don't know, you know? So, but I think that was one of those moments where I realized how stupid I could be in, in the markets. I never really thought of myself as that stupid. I've always been very, very good with risk. Uh, I, I felt like I've got a lot of common sense. I don't have a lot of. Uh, theory smarts in my head, but I'm loaded with common sense. And that's yeah. what I thought would kind of keep me out of a lot of trouble. But the emotion or the idea of losing, I mean, I played sports as a kid and stuff like that, and I didn't like to lose then. And when I got into trading and started losing, <clears throat> I couldn't understand how can I work so hard and lose and not make any money? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. So a lot of that was just the psychology of kind of getting my head, you know, changed quite a bit, I guess you'd say, and then, um, and then taking time to come through that. So, but I think the motorcycle selling that was probably the 
stupidest thing I did in my trading. I just felt like the one thing you truly loved, you know, it was, I guess Max's wife was lucky. I probably sold her if I could. <laughs> I loved her to death. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying, I just, I did, I just couldn't believe I did something that stupid. So I think uh, sometimes having these wake calls, these slap in the faces, it, it helps. I, I know I've had one. I, I got myself into a multiple positions with uh, money that wasn't my own. Um, oh. So I've felt that element of once I got out of those positions, you just kind of sit there. You're like, you are an idiot. Like, what what, what were you thinking? And and, and it, you feel it. I mean, it, it's some other type of out-of-body experience that I can't explain. I mean, it took me weeks to get over the fact of what I, I did, what I did. And sometimes I still look back, but I use that more as a trophy moment to be like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> like if we do due diligence now, you know. You know, I believe it was Louise was on, Louise Bedford was on your show talking about this, but she was talking about self-accountability. And uh, mm. when she was talking about that, uh, you know, so many, especially today, it's just, it's amazing how people, like you make a mistake and people go, that's okay. Don't beat yourself up. You know, like that. Mm. And when, when she was telling you that story, I said, thank you, Louise. Cause that's exact. I am so hard on myself. If I make a mistake and I, and I mean, a mistake, I don't, I don't know. It's like somebody saying it was an accident. I don't believe accidents happen. They're caused. <laughs> so mm. I just kind of look at it like that kind of a mistake. And I'm like, you know what? You've got a written plan for a reason and you did not follow your rules. I just really crack on myself super hard. And I'm even harder. I was telling a group about this last night. If I win money and I broke a rule, oh man, you don't, it takes me about two days to get over that. Because if I, re, if I just say, oh, it's okay, you know, you got lucky this time. No, because that is going to turn into a bad habit of like, hey, you know what? It worked one time. Maybe I'll try that again. But if I really just come down on myself hard from a winning trade when I broke a rule, that's probably the hardest I get on myself. I'm hard when I break a rule and I lose money. I mean, because that's just plain stupid in my book when I, when I break a rule. And I'm, I am human, so I allow for some minor twitches. But when you do something really dumb, like add to a position uh, that's not going your way or, you know, I, I I just can't believe I would do something like that. And then I get pretty hard on myself. So, so yeah, that, that, that part, uh, yeah, you covered. Uh, I think it's, I think it's important to do it. I mean, everything we do, especially in trading in all areas of finance, really in, in general finance in in how you live and your expenses, even down into trading, the, results are from actions we have taken and these actions could have been differently uh the decisions we made could have been done differently yes okay you can sit there and you can have elements of luck you can have that first spread trade that you put on and then <laughs> you know mexico went and defaulted on loans you know there's that element of luck but it's it's that ambition of like okay if this were to happen again what could i have done better or how should i have better protected myself how yeah. should i have never-ending questions on self-improvement and yeah i'm glad you brought that up because when louise and i went through that it was uh i had that example which was prime time with uh with that trader that was talking to me about it and it was that element of yes uh, when you have a bad day nothing beats cracking a nice bottle of wine putting your feet up and forgetting about it but the reality of the situation <laughs> is it's the best time to learn from your mistakes yeah I agree. Yep. And, and, you know, I accept that there's going to be losses and stuff like that. And so, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, in my trading plan, one of my biggest mistakes I'd made before was like when I was day trading, I would be thinking like, okay, if I had a bad morning, I was going to come back in the afternoon and trade to get my money back. Well, I never could make that rule work. So I had to put that into my trading plan about like, okay, if I hit a, a, what I call a max loss for the day, 
the rule says I must get up, close the office down and physically leave the office. And then that night I was to take myself out to the nicest restaurant and get a great bottle of wine and then celebrate. And people go, well, why are you celebrating if you lost money? And I said, because I left the office and I didn't come back in the afternoon to trade again. That's what I was. It's not always about money in trading. It's about did I follow my rules. And that is so important to me. I'm very, very rule based. And if I follow my rules, I'm OK with myself. I'll take the outcome of the trade. I'm not happy about it all. Don't get me wrong. But, it, you know, I, it's when I don't follow my rules, that's when it was bad. So for me, putting that in there and I, to this day, that's still in my trading plan that, you know, if I have a certain number, which I'm not day trading anymore, but maybe if I have a week that things are just not going well inside by Thursday, things are just like bleak. I'm like, you know what? I'm going away for the weekend or whatever. But but that mm. to me is like, OK, it's a, a reset or a circuit breaker. And then when I come back, it's like, OK, now I've you know, got money left over. I can go trade again when the markets are working or when my head's not so messed up i'm glad you mentioned that i I, I did an interview with mark holstead who's actually a a futures trader as well and uh we were having a a discussion about this and i asked how he measures success in the market because personally i don't uh, obviously it's an element of profit and loss because it's it's i mean it's how we fund our lives (laughs) so sure yes we, we measure success through profit but majority of my success and how i really measure it is down to process it's not a matter of sometimes you can do everything right. If the market's not going to deliver for you, the market's not going to deliver. And it's it's hard if you beat yourself up when you've done everything right. So I, I tried to get a lot of people to stop thinking about the monetary reward all the time. And yeah. exactly what you just said, go celebrate when you've, done everything right to your process when you've followed your discipline yes it could be a losing day yes it could punch you in the gut when you've lost a bit of money but going out and celebrating doing the process right there was an old trick um i used to do and i tell a lot of traders to do especially starting out straight is is put up a calendar on the wall the old school calendar and get a uh a sticker like heaps of stickers Heaps of stickers. And every single day, or obviously for swing traders, it might be a week base, but every single day you've done everything right. You've followed your trading plan. You've journaled everything afterwards. You, you've set yourself. You've walked away when you need to walk away. Put a sticker on that day. And wow. uh, be Great. that element of being proud of yourself when you're able to put that sticker up and you realize the process has changed. And then eventually you'll be addicted to the fact that that whole month, needs a sticker on every day you'll be you'll be addicted to it and That's it will be that amazing. that pressure force into sticking yeah. the process and um yeah, yeah i'm glad yeah. you brought that up because i, I relay that accountability right there yeah that's mm. really good great idea Yep. Yeah, I still keep a, a calendar next to me. I got them on the computers, but I keep one on the wall right there. Too. I'm just so old school <laughs> about that. So it was like I ordered a book today. I was just like, and somebody's going like, "Aren't you gonna get like a Kindle or something?" Heck no, I want something I can put my hands down and read it. So that's yeah. Uh, well, where were they it's... from? One of those uh, things you mentioned, a library or something? I don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I still got a bunch of them back here, you know. So you know, I had a I had a funny story with a book one time I had bought. It was. Uh, I'm trying to remember you got Toby Crable and it was about mm. trading. It was about the inside days and the outside days, which, which was really cool because it's, it was, it was about market uh, volatility. And when markets get compressed, like on an inside day, they typically want to break out. And then if they have a really wide range, they want to stay contracted shortly after that. So basically that's what I got out of that book. And it was great. I mean, it was good stuff to learn. And then there was a whole bunch of other pages in there and it was all about, charts from 1960 and 1970 it's not going to do me much good right now 
So anyway, somebody came into my office one day and looked at that book. And I think I paid like 154 when I ordered the thing. And um, I got it. And then somebody came into the office and looked at it. And they're going like, have you seen what that book is selling for? And I went, no. But Toby Crable runs a hedge fund. He ran a hedge fund. I guess he's still doing that. And he said, I'm just going to write this book. This is all in publishing. It, it, you know, he said, I'm not going to be, it's not going to be forever published. And so anyway, I went on Amazon. Look, that thing was up to like, I don't know, $900 or something like that, like in two years, you know? And so all of a sudden I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. If I can get 1150 for this book, I'm going to see if I, you know, just go for it. And I put it on there and about a week later, somebody from Korea goes like, I'd like to get this for my boss. Would you be willing to go with that? And I said, sure. I said, you want to pay the shipping, blah, blah, blah. And sure. Yeah, we'll cover everything. Yeah. So I got from 150 to 1150 in a two year. And I started thinking like, shoot, maybe I should just you know, trade books and not the markets. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so funny because there's people, there's like, I got a couple over here on market profile from, uh, Kevin Coyle and uh, Coy and uh, Peter Steidelmeyer, some of the original books from that. It's amazing what those things are selling for. I don't want to get rid of those because they got a lot of content mm. in there. It, uh, mm. I learned a lot about market about the markets uh, reading the market profile. I never did the you know I can't say I never, but I never really got the grasp of um, the profile using the distribution curve of the letters per period and stuff like that. But um, they, good concepts in there about uh, facilitation of trade and everything like that. So. Yeah, uh, I use uh, I use the volume profile in in my day trading, so <laughs> it's no, definitely I mean, something uh, I'm interested in. There. Yeah, you know the whole you know I tell I used to tell my class too. You know I said I said think about what is a market. You know because they, they always wonder why stops get hit. You know why does always you know you put your stop above a high or below a low. It's like why are my stops always getting hit? And I said well it's because everyone knows that's where the stops are. And I said do you know what the market is? And you look around the class and everybody kind of got this look like, what do you mean? What is it? And I said, the market is an organism. And it doesn't matter if it's a Forex or a stock or whatever is freely traded. A market is nothing more than an organism that eats orders to survive. Mm. Meaning it has to constantly be looking for orders. Because if it doesn't move looking for the orders, the market stagnates and no one makes money. The exchange doesn't make money. Traders don't make money. Option traders can't make money because there's no premium to sell. So markets have to. And I, one of the things I was kind of blessed with being going up to Chicago quite a bit and visiting the trading floors up there was watching those guys on the floor trade. No charts, pure intuition. And they would follow the volume, you know, like the market coming or volume coming into the market. And those A, B and C, D periods, like they talk about market profile, it was nothing to hear when I'm going like, hey, what was that C period high? Because they could see prices were sort of upticking there. And maybe that was like a pivot high for the day. And all of a sudden, it was like the, what used to be called the one lot maggots in the pit. And at lunchtime, they'd come in and bid the market up just to take that high out to take the stops out. And it, it, all it was. And here's how cool it was. They would bid that up. And then as soon as that hit that stop area, all the brokers in the pit had to do what to get the stops filled? Scream, right? So they would go, so the floor trader would listen to that. And when did they reverse their trade? When the floor brokers quit screaming, because that meant there was no more orders. And they go, boom, and they would cover their trade just like that. And all they did was just push it up on one lots like that. All that is just following order flow. When electronic trading first became popular, some of the floor traders who came off of the floor and started doing some screen trading actually came up with software that made a clicking noise for every transaction that occurred. So as the price was moving, if it was a real slow click, like kick or like click, click like that, there wasn't a lot of volume. There wasn't a lot of activity in that movement. But if price was moving and it was going like that, they would jump in at the market because that's what they heard on the floor. It's amazing how the floor traders, how intuitive they were about that. And then when you combine that with like what uh, 
market profile talks about, it's amazing at just getting an inside view of how the market actually moves and what moves price. Mm. And, uh, currently, um, we, we do a lot of work with Financial Juice, which is a financial media company, and they've just launched something called TickStrike, which is exactly that. They they turned order flow into audio and and little so it's i mean everything you're talking about is just hitting nail on the head that's (laughs) fantastic yes and i'm just saying it did i remember because i was about the time electronic trading was getting popular and a lot of the guys were leaving the pits and because writing was on the wall that the pits would eventually close and the liquidity Mm -hmm. was going away pretty quick but uh yeah they they had to make that transition just looking at a chart wasn't working for them because they never looked at that but they had that audio and they could listen to that and tell and, and especially if you imagine it's after it makes a new high or a new low and that sound quits, you know, making that real fast click, there's no more stops in the market. And now it's time mm-hmm. to go the other way. And it just, when you, when you saw that the market just moved like this and all of us literally were just looking for orders and that's all it was. So. Don, I'm going to be honest, I could sit here all day and listen to chat and, and just chat here. Honestly, it's been an absolute privilege, but we are on a bit of a time limit, unfortunately. Don, oh, I want to see more of you. I want to see more of your, your analysis, your understanding. Where do I go? You know, I follow, I'm on LinkedIn. I, I don't do anything on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that. I, I just, uh, you know, I, I'm not the type of guy who puts out there like I'm buying here, I'm selling here. Uh, one mm. thing I did learn about that is, especially as an instructor, I never told what my live positions were. Because as soon yep. as I told somebody what my position was, I've now put pressure on myself that that's got to work because I told them I'm long. And what did that make me do? It made me cut my profit short more times than not. Because I, oh, I got to be right. I got to be right on this trade because mm-hmm. I told somebody. So I discuss after trades, but I don't like to put out what I'm actually doing right now. So that's what, to me, a lot of that is on Twitter, just talking about that type of stuff. A lot of ego stuff out there as well. A lot and, of and ego on Twitter. There's some good stuff out there. Don't get me wrong, but there's so much crap in between it that I just tend to stay off of the social media. LinkedIn has been very well. I'm so happy I got linked up with you and um, Louise and everybody getting a great base built up. And uh, we've got a lot of mm-hmm. traders around the world too, you know, just uh, keeping linked up with that. So LinkedIn would probably be the best place for getting in touch and uh, doing some stuff there. Fantastic. Coming, back here, coming back here, we'll do question and answers or something. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, uh, daily, right? no it was an absolute pleasure absolute privilege don um thank you so much for for coming on traders of money at trade delicious and uh, i look forward to seeing you again in the future uh thank you very much jordan i've enjoyed this very much and uh, just talking about the past like that probably sound like my dad telling stories now (laughs) it's just i've enjoyed this so much and uh, it was a great interview and uh, i really i'm looking forward to come back and uh, see what we can talk about in the future